0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making theology central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, May the 7th, 2022. It is currently 8.08 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, and I'm broadcasting from... Well, the homeschool room. Yes, I, I am in the homeschool room right now. And if and if I look around, uh, there, see, there's a map of the United States up there in front of me. There's a whiteboard. Uh, I don't know what they, I don't know what we were doing or they were doing on that particular day. I've got our artwork that people have done here for homeschool. I've got, uh, there's all these like motivational posters, right? Um, I've got uh, past tense, present tense, future tense. I got that there. And I've got a multiplication a chart going on there. I got the uh, the uh, months of the year there. I'm just looking around a whole bunch of books. Um, I've got, I've, I'm just looking around the room. But right before I got ready to start, right before I got ready to start this live broadcast, I looked over. And at the very beginning of the room is the following poster. It's there on the wall. And it says this, it does not matter. How slowly you go, so long as you do not stop. It does not matter how slowly you go, so long as you do not stop. That's a motivational poster that's right here in the homeschool room from where I am broadcasting on this Saturday evening, May the, t- May the 7th, 2022. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but I think that's very appropriate for where we are right now. Because this episode is a, in fact, this episode, let me tell you exactly which part this episode is. This is, uh, this episode is part 13 and our study of Matthew chapter 24. This is another episode in our series, Bible Study Exercises. If you, uh, listen, I would challenge you, download the Church One app. That's Church O-N-E, Church O-N-E. You can get it on Google Play Store, Apple App Store. Download that app, Church O-N-E. Once you download the app, simply do a search for Theology Central. Choose us as your desired broadcaster. Remember, it's a generic app. Download the app, once you do, you can look at all the series and one of the series you'll see is Bible study exercises. There's well over 200 now, all right? All of them are free. They're all available to you. And typically the way we the way it works is we dedicated what we dedicate one week to one passage of scripture. But in this particular case, we are dedicating probably close to eight weeks to Matthew chapter 24 the Bible study exercises, we dig in deep. And the goal is not just me to teach you, but it's to get you to actually study the Bible, right? That's the way it's done. Sometimes I do teaching. Sometimes I just hand out assignments. You can send me your homework to at yahoo.com, or you can post it in our Discord channel, which we have an entire channel dedicated to homework, right? And you can just post your homework right there. So uh so we we try to get people actually involved in Bible study. But because this one is not just one week long, this is going to go 8 weeks. Guess what's going to happen? A lot of people are going to just kind of they're going to. They're just going to either just slow down, or just kind of drop to the wayside, or may just give up. Because like this, this study is going to go on forever. And hey, it doesn't matter how slowly you go. I don't care if you're if you're right now at you're just crawling along. I don't care if you're barely moving. Just do not stop. Bring this study of Matthew twenty four to some kind of dramatic powerful conclusion so that when you are finished, one, you'll have that satisfaction of finishing, but you'll walk away knowing Matthew 24 better than you have ever understood it. And remember one of the key verses that I've pointed out in Matthew uh, chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, I think this is very, very important. Remember, I I mean, I, I hope everyone remembers this. Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. I find it very interesting that Matthew 24 is this chapter that so many people misquote, so many people misinterpret, so many people rip things out of context. It's a chapter that I think has been used to deceive many people. And in a sense, it really starts the, the the answer to the question that's asked of Jesus, he begins his answer by saying, make sure no one deceives you. Well, the goal is by the time you're done with this eight-week study of Matthew 24... No one should ever be able to deceive you because you should be an expert in what's actually in Matthew 24. You should be an expert in its structure. You should be an, ex- an expert in its historical context. You should be an expert in all the different views. You should be an expert. And if you have not been with us for all of the episodes in this in our study of Matthew 24, again, the Church One App Go listen to all of them and actually do the homework. You will greatly benefit from it. Now, on Wednesday, unfortunately, we did not get to engage in another, uh, in some study of Matthew 24, which was the original plan. So we took a slight detour on on Wednesday night, and we did about an hour-long program listening to a discussion about eschatology. That one was... (laughs) That one was extremely frustrating. I think it was beneficial, but but it was extremely frustrating. So it's Saturday night, and typically, remember, Sunday is usually the beginning of a new week of study. So sometimes on Saturday, we'll bring that week's study to a conclusion, or sometimes on Saturday, I will introduce the next week's study. We haven't really followed that as a firm rule right now because, well, we're still studying the same passage, but it's Saturday evening, and I thought, you know what? I don't know what people are doing. I don't even know if people will listen to this live, but whenever they listen to this, I just wanted to turn on the microphone to say, hey, don't stop. Keep working on Matthew 24, and I wanted to bring us a little bit of study in Matthew 24 just to get you reengaged with the chapter and to continue to work on it. So does, does that sound good? All right, Matthew 24. Let's just do a very basic thing here. Matthew 24, let's remind ourselves first and foremost of really the the context that gets so forgotten when dealing with Matthew 24, right? We start back to verse 1. I've told you we would read it over and over and over again. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. So there's Jesus. He comes out of the temple. The disciples are like, look at this place. Look at these buildings. And Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he makes a prediction about the destruction of the temple. And we know that temple was destroyed in 70 AD. There's no, the context here, it's, there's no it's there's no debate. There's no argument. They they point out the buildings. Jesus say these things are all going to be destroyed. We know when those buildings were destroyed, 70 A.D. It's just it's it's there should be no issue here. There should be no argument here. And so immediately when Jesus or Jesus is sitting on the mountain of olives, and then the disciples will come to him privately, and they're like, Hey, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? They're they're blown away by this prediction. They they can't figure out. So wait, what's going to happen? They are confused. But the question is specifically in regards to what Jesus said. The temple is going to be destroyed. They are perplexed. They are confused. And in starting in verse 4, Jesus begins to give them the signs that obviously first and foremost point to the destruction of the temple, which occurred in 70 A.D. If you ignore that context, if you ignore that context and you try to take these signs and apply them to the future, you do a great, great disservice to the word of God. In fact, you I think you misrepresent it, you twist it, and you can actually, uh, I think, lead to some really bad conclusions. We've talked about all of that in our previous study. We have worked on and i think we've come pretty i think we're pretty dogmatic to say matthew 24 starting in verse 4 where jesus starts giving the signs all of the signs mentioned in verse 4 all the way to 14 we have dogmatically proven that i believe all of those signs pointed to 70 ad and were all fulfilled prior to 70 ad i know you if you've not listened to that you're going to start arguing with me about verse 14 go listen the Apostle Paul himself uses language to clearly demonstrate that verse 14 was fulfilled prior to 70 AD, unless you're going to say Paul was wrong, okay? So, that brought us to verse 15. That brought us to verse 15, The the as it is stated here, where, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. All right, this abomination of desolation, I know many just completely, again, forget 70 AD, and they immediately go to a futuristic perspective where they claim that a new temple is going to be built, the Antichrist is going to walk in and declare himself to be God and that will be the abomination of desolation. We have, I think, dogmatically been able to prove that the abomination of desolation occurred in seventy A.D. I think we demonstrated that. We showed we we, we referred to the writings of Josephus. We looked at a number of other things. I think it was pretty clear. Um, there may be those who still may disagree, but you're gonna. I mean, you're. I mean, the things that they did. The things that occurred just makes the most sense. In fact, by the fact that they destroyed the temple, in a way they were saying, we're greater than your God, we're God. We destroyed your temple. We destroyed your house of God. So in a sense, it's the, an abomination of desolation that had destroyed the temple. They brought in the, the Roman symbols there that would have been a desecration of the entire temple mound. They destroyed it. And in a sense, they declared themselves to be God. They brought in their idolatry, in a sense, and uh, it, it was desecrated. It was, it was corrupted, and they, that, that fulfilled that particular verse. So what we were going to do on Wednesday is we were going to jump down to some later verses. But what I want to do tonight is simply add to our discussion of verse 15 by going to the curriculum. All right. Now, if you want access to the curriculum, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is email me newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And we'll be more than happy to send you a link. You sign up. We don't ask you for any money. We don't send uh, out an email for a monthly offering. We don't do anything like that. It's free. Okay. And the more people who join, we'll increase our subscription so that we can make. Uh, room for you so if you want it if you want it by all means sign up for it we are grateful for those who do donate to support we but we don't ask for money we're never going to ask you for money but we are grateful for anyone who chooses on their own to give so that we can do this and make this curriculum free for anyone and everyone no matter where they are and so if you would like access to it just email me we'll send you a link it is free all right now I thought this Saturday evening, we'll just look at the curriculum and we'll work through it and just see what they have to say in regards to Matthew 24, 15, which so many people rip out of its historical context, make it future. They try to pull in 2 Thessalonians to justify their, their doing so, which just makes no sense because 2 Thessalonians was written between like somewhere between 50 and 60 AD, meaning that when it's talking about something similar, 70 A.D. could be the fulfillment for that as well. It's just so weird how, how so many Christians just seem to forget that 70 A.D. occurred. I, th- I think, th- look, I've, I've always said what amazed me is I first learned about 70 A.D. not in a church, but in a secular school. That, that, I, I don't know how you, you, you should be able to, yeah, I, I just, don't even get me started. Again, I sometimes. The the weird things that happen in churches when it comes to the study of God's word. All right, but let's let's take a look at this. We're just going to w- work through this. If you're listening live, feel free to hop into the chat. You can email me if you're in the Discord channel. Feel free to post any thoughts there. I will definitely try to look before I end this broadcast to answer any uh, additional questions. But I just I just wanted I mean I just want us to to just not lose focus, and I don't want people to become discouraged and stop. Remember, it does not matter how slowly you go so long as you do not stop. All right, so are you ready? Here we go. All right, I gotta move that. I'm gonna close that. Let's go to the curriculum. Here we are. Now, what the curriculum I'm looking at is the curriculum that specifically focuses on Matthew 24, 15 through 22. All right? We will we will take a look at it, and we're just going to walk through it just systematically and see what we—just we, just hopefully just a fun time of looking at the curriculum. If you have not looked at the curriculum on Matthew 24 yet, please go back and look at all, every session, and look at each and every one. Just see what they say, what they— how they've looked at it. We've already looked at some of the uh, curriculum before. Not that we always agree with it. It's to supplement what we do. In many cases, it's to simply provide a completely opposite perspective than the one I put forward, which actually benefits you because you hear different perspectives, which is very beneficial. But are you ready? Okay. Session two, title. Know what's coming. We need to know what's coming. Now, Immediately, that tells me, that gives me a kind of an idea that they're going to apply Matthew 24, 15 and following as something pointing to our future. Now, it was future to the, to the disciples who hear this answer. Yeah, Jesus is speaking this somewhere before 33 AD and 70 AD. All of these things happen, all right? In fact, leading up to 70 AD, all of these predictions and signs are happening as we've already looked at but they're clearly going to i think point to our future so let's see what they do with this know what's coming underneath that is clearly someone laying in a hospital bed it's a it's a man who's laying in the hospital bed and a woman's hands she's got she's she's got her hand on top of his hand and her hand under his hand and she's holding it right so the idea that Well, in this particular case, something bad could be coming. Maybe death. Maybe this person is terminal. I'm just trying to interpret the artwork. I mean, they didn't choose this photograph just out of random. They're trying to point something. Know what's coming because sometimes bad things are coming and we need to know about it, all right? Um, The point, here's the point they have for this session. Even in the darkest times, God has not abandoned his people. Now, that's interesting. If we just look at this from a historical perspective, that Matthew 24 is the disciples and what is getting ready to happen to Jerusalem, what is getting hap- getting ready to happen to Israel, it's going to bring to the end the Jewish age, 70 AD. I, I mean, and for all practical Reality, it brings an end to Judaism. Whatever Judaism today, it's a shadow of its former self. They don't have a temple. They don't have a high priest. They don't have anything that they actually need to be to practice Judaism. It's just a shell of itself. So 70 AD, I mean, that's the darkest of darkest times for a Jew and for Israel. But God has not abandoned his people. All right, that's we could work with this idea. I don't know if that's the direction they're going to go. I don't know if they're going to focus on Israel in 70 AD and what lied, what what happened after 70 AD, or as much as they're going to focus on us and future for us, which again, we'll rip it out of context, but let's see what they do here, all right? The passage, Matthew 24, 15 through 22, so let's read it, Matthew 24, 15 through 22. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Again, we've already in a previous study clearly demonstrated that was all, that verse was fulfilled in 70 AD with Titus coming in and destroying the temple. Verse 16, let them which should be in Judea flee into the mountains. When they see the abomination of desolation, when they see what's getting ready to happen in Jerusalem, they need to run for their lives. Makes perfect sense in the historical context. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Clearly, this is a reference to Israel, a reference to the Jews still living under very uh, Old Testament concepts and Old Testament ideas. I mean, this clearly... Is pointing to 70 A.D. and and Jews and the end of the Jewish age. Um, Verse 21, For then shall be great tribulations such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, verse 21 is the verse we were going to work on on Wednesday night because it is the most difficult verse because you're like, well, wait a minute. I don't think this is the worst, as it says... uh, we're, they're going to see tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. That's a major problematic verse because the destruction of the temple cannot be the worst tribulation the world has ever seen or ever will see because in 70 AD, well, first of all, some very bad things that happened prior to 70 AD. I don't know, like a global flood, like the destruction of the temple previously, like Israel, like, uh, Israel or the Judah going into captivity to Babylonian captivity and Israel going into Assyrian captivity. Like uh, those were really horrible things as well. We could go through a number of things. And since 70 AD, we've had World War I, World War II. We've had horrible things happen. So verse 21 is the one that makes it very difficult to go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How, how is this the worst thing that the world has, that's not seen since the beginning, or nor, nor ever shall be. Even if you say 2415 is pointing to the future, when the Antichrist walks into the temple and declares himself to be God, even if you try to apply it to that scenario, even that does not, to me, would point to the great tribulation, uh, Unless you're going to say that would begin begin the great tribulation, and so then what we read in Revelation would be far greater than anything the world's ever seen. Okay, maybe maybe that would maybe that would work. It, yeah, we're, we'll 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 have to work on exactly what to do with this. Verse twenty two, and except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So 21 and 22 still poses us serious problems, and we still have to work on it, and we will do that Sunday night at Victory Baptist Church. But for now, we're going to see what the curriculum has to do here, all right? Here's what they start with and a section they call the Bible Meets Life, where they usually just start with some kind of illustration to try to break the ice. And this is just kind of typical in a lot of Bible study curriculum because a lot of it is used for small groups. And yeah, you know the way those things are structured. But let's just see what they have to say here. For any child, it is a horrible feeling when he turns around and can't find his parent. I was shopping with my energetic son when he decided to do some exploring on his own. When he looked around, he could not find me, and he was scared. A store employee comforted him and asked what, uh, asked what my name was. Suddenly, I heard my name come across the store intercom, telling me to retrieve my son. My son was relieved when I came up to the counter. I was troubled to think he might not have believed I had left him. You may have had a similar experience as a child or a parent. Many parents have briefly lost a child in public. Maybe you have a memory uh, from your childhood when you lost sight of your parent or another adult and you felt lost and alone. Unfortunately, many of us have also gone through painful moments when we feel abandoned by God. As we continue our study on what Jesus said about his return, we will see that God will never forsake us as the end draws near. Now immediately see what they've done. See, as we have studied... As we have studied on what Jesus has said about his return, they're referring to their study in Matthew 24. They're clearly applying it only to the return of Jesus, ripping it literally out of its textual historical context. What we have seen so far in Matthew 24 is Jesus talking about the coming destruction of the temple in 70 AD, not about his return. Unless you're going to do a, a go a full-blown preterist and say that he returned in 70 AD. So already I just this just drives me crazy because any person who just basic reading comprehension would tell you this is pointing to 70 AD. The, 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 I mean the question is when are when are these temples going to be destroyed? That's not referencing to Jesus coming back, that's referencing to the destruction of the temple. I just don't know how so many Christians can't wrap their mind around the basic reading of this chapter. But here we have the Bible study curriculum doing the same thing. Now, here we go. All right, here's here's what we've been waiting for. How is the curriculum going to handle handle Matthew 24, 15? Are they going to even entertain the possibility that this was fulfilled in 70 AD? Let's see what they have to say. All right, first, I'm going to read it as they have it here in uh, the curriculum. They have Matthew 24. 15 through, seven, uh, 15 through 16. And I'm going to quote it. All right, here we go. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let him which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Keyword abomination of desolation refers to a desecration of the holy temple or altar in Jerusalem. With pagan worship as predicted by the prophet Daniel. Now I would say it refers to a desecration of the holy temple. They go on to say that it's a desecration of the holy temple or altar with pagan worship. Now that that seems to indicate that the temple is going to be turned into a place of worship. I think for it to happen, you just have to desecrate it with that which is pagan or ungodly and Rome and their symbols would have desecrated it in the destroying of it. So th- they try to make it very specific here, but all right, let- let's see what they-, they go on to say. The word rendered abomination appears over 120 times in the Bible. In every case, the word refers to something detestable. I think Rome coming in to destroy the temple, to destroy the house of God, it's, it's detestable, and I think it would meet as re- re- the requirements. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, used the same Greek word to refer to things such as unclean animals, Leviticus eleven ten through 13, magic and divination, Deuteronomy 18, 12, idols, Jeremiah 4, 1, and all things abhor- abhorrent to God, which is weird. They quote Revelation 17, 4 through 5, and 21, 27, because they they just talked about the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, which would not have included the book of Revelation. So, they write that really weird. So, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, the Septuagint translates the Hebrew scriptures to refer to such things, the, the idea of Abomination to refer to magic and divination, idols, and uh, animals, unclean animals, right? And then all things abhorrent to God is spoken of in Revelation 17, 4 through 5, tw- uh, chapter 21, verse 27. The ultimate abomination, though, is the abomination of desolation, a horrible and devastating activity that is idolatrous at its core and affront to the holiness of God. The phrase abomination of desolation was first used in the book of Daniel. No Old Testament book has more end times teaching than the book of Daniel. Daniel uses the word abomination referred to the desecration of the temple of Jerusalem. Many scholars have noted that at least a partial fulfillment of this prophecy occurred in 176 BC, a Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes, set up an altar, or Antiochus 4 Epiphanes, set up an altar to Zeus above the altar of burnt offerings in the Jer- Jerusalem temple. Antiochus 4 also did something especially egregious to Hebrews by sacrificing an unclean animal or pig on the temple altar. Now, we all know that, but clearly that's not a f- complete fulfillment of Daniel 9 because Jesus refer- refer- references it In Matthew 24, 15, clearly pointing to what's going to happen in 70 AD. If you want to say it's a partial fulfillment, that's fine. But clearly, what happened in 176 BC was not the total fulfillment. Since Jesus was speaking almost 200 years after these events, he was pointing to another future event. Many Bible scholars believe Jesus was referring to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Okay, good. They at least mention it. That's a good thing. I I have a feeling they're going to say, "Mm, no, it's something in the future. But let's see what they say here. Bible scholars believe Jesus was referring to the destruction of the temple in in 70 AD. It is said that when the Romans destroyed the Jewish temple, they raised their pagan flags above the rubble. Jesus' words, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, also lend support to this view since Jews fled at the time of the Roman invasion in AD 70. The more explicit wording in Luke twenty one twenty one through 24 appears to support this view. The word flee is related to the English word fugitive, a person who takes flight to escape danger. The mountains likely refer to the region southeast of Jerusalem that contains many caves of refuge. While these caves were sometimes favorite places for robbers to dwell, there were also safe retreats for those who were fleeing danger. Some writers, including Eusebius, indicated that many first century Jews did just that as the Roman army advanced on Jerusalem. They called the city and took refuge in a city in Macedonia, called Pella. So I want to make sure you realize that. So we have a lot of of evidence, as we've already talked about, and they mention here, even Eusebius mentions, hey, this is what they did. They they were told to flee. They fled. They ran. This is exactly what happened. And the, the Romans desecrated the temple. They destroyed it. In a sense, they raised their pagan flag. They basically declared themselves to be God at least greater than the God of the Jews, because, well, his temple was in ruins. Many scholars also see Jesus' words as a reference to a future event involving the Antichrist. Now, this is where everyone, this is where the uh, majority of evangelicals want to run to. Oh, it's future, it's future. Again, Matthew 24 in its context about the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. Yes, I know that there are some verses here that I don't know how in the world you get them fulfilled in 70 A.D., uh, especially verses, what, 21 and uh, twenty one and around that area, 21, 22, 23. I understand there, there are some issues. We will work on that. But for now, we're focusing on 2415, which I think we've already proven is referring to 70 A.D. But they're going to point to a future fulfillment. Let's see the best argument they have, All right? Here we go. They say this. Many scholars also see Jesus' words as a reference to a future event, including involving the Antichrist. The ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy will occur when Antichrist does something very similar to what Antiochus Epiphanes did. Revelation thirteen fourteen foretells the Antichrist making an image that people are forced to worship for uh, one to turn the temple of God into a place of false worship is truly an abomination. Now, they say Revelation 13, 14. Let's take a look at it. Revelation 13, 14. Revelation 13, 14. Here we go. Revelation chapter 13, verse 14. Um, I'm going to go to verse... I'm just going to go to verse 11. And... uh, this is Revelation 13. I'm going to start in verse 11, and I'm just going to read it from the translation I have in front of me. Here we go. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. It also performs great signs and even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform and the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Now, where do you get, I'm going to read this now from a different translation. All right. I don't know how you immediately apply that there. Let's go to uh, I'm gonna go to a different translation. Revelation thirteen verse fourteen and deceive them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. I don't know how that would be a fulfillment of Matthew twenty four, the abomination of desolation. Yeah, they make an image. They they, they say, I, yeah. I mean, he's going to make an image, and people are forced to worship it. I, I yeah, I, I'm having a hard time where that completely. Yeah, that that's some reaching. But then then I know where they're going to go. I know where they're going to go here. Now listen carefully. For one, to turn the temple of God into a place of false worship is truly an abomination. Second Thessalonians 2, 4 lends support to this view. Now they're going to go to 2 Thessalonians, which you knew they were going to go to if you've been involved in Christianity in any length of time. All right, let's look at it. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4. 2 Thessalonians 2. Four, we read these words, all right, right. Uh, Second Thessalonians 2, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to verse, I'm going to go back to, I'm just going to go back to verse 1 so that we have context here, Second Thessalonians 2, 1, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, do not be easily upset or troubled either by a prophecy or by a messenger or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. That's 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, remember, immediately people want to grab that and say, see, that's referring to the future. But remember, that's that's spoken somewhere in, around 50, 51, 52, 53 AD. Even if you go all the way to 65 AD, even if you go to a later date, 66, 67, it's still before 70 AD. So how is it, is it possible the 2 Thessalonians was warning them, hey, don't let anyone tell you the day has occurred yet because he's, well, he's pointing them to 70 AD. You've got to at least consider the possibility, all right? You can't just ignore the dating of the writing of 2 Thessalonians. It would be, if it was written way after 70 AD, then you'd be like, well, clearly it's not referring to 70 AD. So then you would have something that seems to refer to someone in the temple declaring themselves to be God. But you could make an argument that it points to 70 AD as well, Right? One thing is clear. Jesus wanted his, wanted his disciples and us to know what is coming. And when God's temple is desecrated, we can know the end is coming. All right? Now, so they basically say, hey, we, we don't know for sure. <laughs> is it 70 AD? Is it future? But whatever it is, whenever it is, he wants us to know that that when God's temple is desecrated, we can know the end is coming. Now, I, I guess that I, I that's look that's extremely helpful. That's extremely helpful for people living somewhere between thirty two A.D. and seventy A.D. That's extremely helpful because the temple is right there. They see the temple. They 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 it. It would be very relevant, because in a very short period of time, that temple's going to be desecrated and destroyed. And so, now the end of what is coming? Are you going to say that when they saw the end of the temple, the end of the world was about to happen? Because that happened in 70 A.D., and it's May the 7th, 2022. So, not, that wouldn't have been much help to them. Now, the end of the Jewish age occurred in 70 A.D., which I think is an essential thing in understanding the New Testament. I think Hebrews is written... First and foremost, everybody reads it as some warning about losing your salvation. No, it's a warning to the Jews that they're going to lose their system of salvation because they're no longer going to have a priest. They're no longer going to have a sacrifice. They're no longer going to have any of the things that they would look to for salvation. It's all going to be gone. They need something better, which is Jesus Christ. When you understand Hebrews in light of 70 A.D., which Hebrews is written around 67, 68 A.D., it makes perfect sense. When you understand Matthew 24 in light of 70 AD, it makes perfect sense. When you see some things in 2nd Thessalonians in light of 70 AD, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> so I I don't know how you can say, "Hey, w- hey disciples, when you see that temple desecrated, the end the end is coming." Of course, you're never going to see the end because you're well, the end of the Jewish age was going to occur. They saw that. So w- so what does that mean for us? Well, what we're looking we have to look for a new temple. I again I think that this has a historical significance more than anything else. Then they go to Matthew 24, 17 through 20. I'm gonna read it as they have it here in the curriculum. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to his clothes, and woe unto them which are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Jesus pointed out in this section that the end will bring destruction so quickly that believers must waste no time in taking cover, a friend of mine told me the story of his house being destroyed by a tornado several years ago. Warning of the coming storm came so quickly that he, he did not have sufficient time to gather his belongings from his home. This kind of scenario is the essence of what Jesus, of what Christ was saying about the need to flee when the abomination of desolation stands in the holy place. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Most first, first century houses had outside stairways that led to the upstairs flat roof. Those flat roofs were especially useful in places of social gathering during hot months. It had been, it had been said hum- humorously that one could walk across Jerusalem on the roofs of houses. Apparently, some people built their houses next to the walls of the city. When they saw an opposing army, immediately Im- immediate flight was vital. Jesus stressed the difficulty and need for immediate flight with two other examples. The person working in the field did not need to delay even to take his clothes. Those clothes were likely the outer cloak, which was essentially used as a sleeping gear, Christ's Christ point was that the times will become so difficult that people will not be able to go back even for what was perceived as a necessity. Jesus' second example was that, that them that are without child, them with child, and those that give suck. Those, this did not imply a curse on women who are with child. It simply described the added difficulty of traveling while fleeing while pregnant or handling infant children. I remember watching my dear wife getting up carefully and walking slowly when she was close to giving birth to our children. It would have been her undoing if she had the stress of quickly leaving our house because of a crisis. Christ's words were simply highlighting how difficult it will be to move as quickly as necessary during the crisis of the end times when one is with child. Jesus mentioned another scenario that could prove challenging at the end, the weather. Pray that your flight be not in the winter. He knew that cold and harsh climates will undoubtedly uh, make travel harder in any scenario, so he encouraged prayer. The pending, unmitigated terror awaiting believers call for a single-minded commitment to fleeing. We are encouraged to pray for every specific and seemingly unimportant thing, such as the weather. To the Jewish disciples, Jesus also called them to pray that their escape would not be on the Sabbath day. Faithful Jews did not travel more than a half mile on Sabbath days. That would also add the complication of having the city gates closed. All the stores shut down and access to any transportation unavailable. Again, making this make perfect sense in light of 70 AD, not so much in 2022 or 2025 or 2030 or whenever you think this is supposed future event is going to happen. When it becomes apparent that the end times have arrived, the distress that accompanies those days will come suddenly Jesus' word should encourage us to be prepared. All right? Now, let's stop right here. Or not stop right here. Let's at least take a pause right here. Because I want to, because they're going to go to the next verses, which are the ones we're going to work on on Sunday night. So I I almost want to stop here and not give anything away, but we will at least do a preview here. Up to this point, everything makes perfect sense referring to 70 AD. There's just no way to get around it. The context, the verbiage, the language, the warning, everything. Uh, the, the specific warnings. I mean, it, it's it's definitely referring to a culture where travel would be difficult. It's definitely referring to that kind of a culture where the Sabbath rules would shut everything down. That's the culture it was referring to. So clearly all of this is pointing to 70 AD and the destruction. But as I said, verses 21 to 23 is where the problems really begin. And trying to know what to do with Matthew 24. I'll be the first one to admit that. And anyone else, look, I will say this, verses 4 to 20, the problem in interpreting those verses in any meaningful way would, or, or put it this way, the problem would be for anyone trying to interpret verses 4 to 20 in a purely futuristic point of view. Because clearly those are referring to what happened historically leading up to 70 AD. So anyone who's a futurist shouldn't allow verses four to twenty to be viewed from a historical perspective and don't point to the future. Because to me, you're being disingenuous with the text, and you're just trying, you're so committed to your eschatology that you're not willing to allow the text to be true. That is what we cannot do. But anyone who is a preterist, anyone who, is a, who holds to a historical perspective, verse 21 through 23 should be greatly difficult for you. So let's see how the curriculum handles it. Here we go. Verse 21 to 22. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, No, nor ever shall be, and except those days shall be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Verse 21 to 22, to me, does not make any sense in light of 70 AD. Let's see what they say. Keywords, the elect. Literally, the chosen refers generally to those chosen by God for rendering special service to him, Right? we could get into whole discussion there about is that, but all right, that's fine. Here we go. While many scholars see the verses preceding this as a reference to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, verse 21 points to the events beyond that. I Look, it's hard to argue against this perspective. Surely the great, tribulation in verse 21, cannot be applied only to the destruction of Jerusalem. We know from history that we have undergone many horrific events since then. It is probably best, therefore, to understand this period of great distress, or the great tribulation, as it is more commonly known as the entire period, beginning with the destruction of 70 AD, and continuing on until Christ returns. Hmm. That that is interesting. Let's go back to Matthew 24. So what they are suggesting, I can go back, Matthew 24, using different Bibles can throw you off. You get used to where something is on the page. Matthew 24. So let's consider this. They say that, Verse 21, for then shall there be great tribulation. That in, in their minds, the best way to understand the great tribulation is that it is, it's probably to understand this is a period of great distress that starts in 70 AD and continues all the way till Christ returns. The great tribulation being spoken of in Matthew 24, uh, 21 goes from 70 AD until Christ returns. that's that's an interesting thought that that's that possibly works there's an eloqu- there's an eloquence and it's eloquent it's 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 somewhat simplistic it it's somewhat where it fits everything together right matthew 24 4 through 20 all pointing to 70 ad and then after the destruction of the temple after everyone has fled for then shall there be great tribulation, starting from that point, moving all the way till Christ returns. Well, it's going to be, it's, it, it, there's going to be a tribulation was not since the beginning of the world. Well, I think if you'll read everything that happens in the book of Revelation and you take that even halfway literal, that would be far worse than anything that's ever happened, including, I think, the global flood. That, that, that fits everything together pretty good. So let me read this again. While many scholars see the verses preceding this as a reference to the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, verse 21 points to events beyond that. Surely the great tribulation in verse 21 cannot be applied only to the destruction of Jerusalem. We know from history that we have undergone more horrific events since then. In fact, we've gone through more horrific events really since before 70 A.D. and after 70 A.D. So, It's probably best to understand this period of great distress or the great tribulation as it is commonly known as the entire period beginning with the devastation of A.D. 70 and continuing until Christ returns. This unequaled future will be trouble and tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time nor ever shall be. No period in history fits the description of the events that will occur during this time. While some view Jesus' words as an Old Testament Hebrew idiom, it, it, basically as an idiom phrase that refers to something that is extremely unusual, others see references to the cataclysmic tribulation period throughout the book of Revelation. Christ was describing a time when evil will reign with great maliciousness as the return of Christ draws nearer. All bonds of evil will be broken, restraints will be put aside, and lawlessness will flood the earth. God will move in judgment while in ter- while terrible catastrophe will sweep the earth. Things will be so dark that people will seek deliverance through death. Hardships often lead people to look to God for help, but this will not be the case during the time of great tribulation. And the rest of the men who which were not killed by these plagues yet represented not of the works not, repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood which neither can see nor hear nor walk neither repented of their murderers murders or their sorceries nor of their fornication nor of their thefts that's all in revelation chapter 9 as difficult as these portions of scripture are to read we must be deeply grateful for the mercy of god Jesus said Christ is going to cut short the days of tribulation. The phrase cut short carries the idea of stopping something instantaneously or instantly. Christ seems to meant meant that in his mercy, he will not allow the tribulation to continue forever. God has predetermined that those days will fall short of full destruction. The suffering will be so great that if the Lord let the suffering continue, no one would survive. Otherwise, there should be no flesh saved. God's kindness is great, and he will interrupt the tribulation with his return. The specific reason for God's mercy is for the elect's sake. This is the first time the word elect appeared in the New Testament. The elect are those who have placed their faith in Christ. This word emphasizes God's initiative and in saving us, while believers make a genuine response of faith. Okay, they're, they're going to try to play the middle there, not get into a whole discussion between Calvinism and Arminianism. We won't go into there right now. Um There you go. I'll stop right there. So, here is what they, I think we have a, a, a possible workable solution. Matthew 24, starting in verse 4. Don't let anyone deceive you. He's warning them. You guys, don't be deceived. Starting somewhere around 32, 33 AD. And he gives them all the signs that are going to point to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And all of the signs, starting in verse 4. All the way to verse 20, all point to 70 AD. All happen leading up to 70 AD or on 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. Verse 21 is kind of a transition. For then, for then, once this happens, once the temple, temple is destroyed, for then shall great shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. The only way this makes any sense, the only eloquent, I think, solution is that that is referring to the period from 70 AD till Jesus comes back. I'm going to look at Matthew 24, 21 and another translation Matthew 24:21 Matthew 24:21 For at that time there will be great distress at that time the destruction of the temple for at that time, this is Matthew 24, 21. For at that time, there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved, but those days will be cut short because of his elect. Now, the only problem that is, they said, will never again. Well, that has to refer to the entire period. Yeah. So Matthew 24, 21 references this time of great distress or great tribulation, and that is referring to a period of time that begins in 70 AD and goes all the way till Christ returns. And the reason it will never be that bad again is because that period of time will end with Jesus coming back, and then there'll be the total, ultimately, a new heavens and a new earth, and it'll be the end of everything. That fits. Matthew 24, 4 through 20 all fulfilled leading up to 70 A.D. and on 70 A.D. Starting in verse 21, we refer to a period of great, a time of great distress or a time of great tribulation, which begins right there with the destruction of the temple. And it uncovers everything that happens from 70 A.D. all the way to the coming of Christ. That involves World War I, World War II, Revolutionary War, Vietnam, North Korea, 9-11, War on Terrorism, Every every war, everything Syrian civil war, every every war that you can think of, death, destruction, disease, everything that has occurred since seventy A.D. And it will and it will also include everything that happens in the Book of Revelation. That I think is the solution. That's a good one. That's a good one. I'm going to do this for that. This is how much I like it. Okay. Maybe you didn't like it that much, but I did. Okay. I did. I'm checking to make sure that nobody's left any messages of any kind. Nowhere. Okay. Um, I I think it works. I think it works. I think it works. Um, I think someone in Discord said I think it's amazing too. I think they're referring to this. They may be referring to something else. I'm going to assume that they think it's amazing. I want someone right now out there going, "Whoa, that does fix it. That that's the solution we've been looking for." I, I'm hoping. Okay, I think it works. I think it works. We, we will test it. We will, we Now look, we will come back on Sunday night and look at it from a preterist perspective. He's going to say, nope, nope, it all happened in 70 AD. It, it all happened. But I just, I can't wrap my mind around the preterist version that the rest of this in Matthew 24 all was fulfilled in 70 AD. I, like even, like if you go for a really h- a hardcore preterist, even Jesus returned spiritually in 70 AD. Like I have major issues with that form of preterism. I think preterism is great because it makes us look to possible historical fulfillment, which I'm very grateful for that. But I think that's where the problem, I think it's where it begins to break down. All right. Okay. I think that's it. I'm going to make sure nobody's, uh, oh, I got to check email. Make sure no one is emailed during this time. No one has. All right. I think that's good. All right. I think that's everything. Going to make sure no one else is saying anything else anywhere else. I'm checking all the places where I get messages during live broadcast. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, okay. Oh, they were talking about what I was saying earlier during the, uh, I think, the pre-show when I was talking about how I think it's so amazing that, uh, I don't know if you heard, when I was going live, I noticed on the Sermons 2.0 app that we were one of like, I think, eight or nine, maybe, two, I can't remember, eight or nine, maybe 12 live broadcasts. And it's just so cool that on a Saturday night, here I am in Abilene, Texas, I can open my iPad and just listen to sermons that are being preached live in other parts of the world. And it was also cool that they were messages from churches in Australia, the Philippines, and then here I was broadcasting from basically nowhere, Texas, and I, I can, I, I even though I'm, I'm basically a no one with no money, no, none of the things that any big church has. I have the same ability to preach and proclaim the message to people around the world. That is an amazing thing. But I think this solution to Matthew 24 is far more amazing than even that. Um, and uh, well, we'll see. We'll see what the responses are. All right. If you have any questions, newsif at yahoo.com. If you want to be a participant in the Bible study exercises, just do the homework. Uh, get access to the curriculum. Email me. I'll send you the link. Um, you can email me your homework. You can join the Discord channel if you want to know how to do that. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. There's a channel there for you to post your homework. There's a general channel where you can chat. There's a channel where we post what podcast or sermons we're listening to. And so there's a lot going on there. And if you wouldn't want to be a participant of that, that's absolutely free as well. All of this is absolutely free. So I'm just going to I have to emphasize that because of an email I received uh, in the last live broadcast about this ministry, saying, "Hey, you can you can get seven lessons on the Book of Psalms for twenty dollars a month." <laughs> I just got to laugh. I just got to laugh that that I mean, I should. I'm telling you, I should put all of our teaching behind a paywall. I would never do that, but it just seems like, what am I doing? You know. But yeah, there you go. All right, I think that's everything. I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop, and uh, get ready for tomorrow, all right, and uh, hopefully everyone's having a great Saturday evening, wherever you may be, have a great night, and tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Book of Jude, 1115, 1120, Romans 9, which is really going to just be, I'm not very, I'm not very confident in that, and then uh, Sunday night, Matthew 24, all right, so everyone have a great night, God bless.